Thanks be to God for it. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts tonight as we hear your word. I pray that as I, your servant, come before you, that I would decrease, that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is one of the chapters that so preaches to me. I almost felt like I need to just stand up here and just read to all of us what Richard Foster says. <laughs> because his words hit home in so many different ways. And he's talking in terms of simplicity and solitude. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. We've been focusing on inner inward disciplines. We started with um, meditation and prayer, then we moved on to fasting and study. And what we find is when we focus on our inner being, that what begins to happen is we are transformed in such a way that we can then live outward disciplines that reflect more to the world how it is Christ is changing us from within. And so tonight we're going to start exploring these outward disciplines of simplicity and solitude. One of the things that Foster says that first jumped out at me as I was reading this chapter um, was that we are trapped in a maze of competing attachments. One moment we make decisions that are based on sound reason and the next moment, we make our decisions based on fear out of what others will think of us. Anybody ever been there? And he says, we have no unity or focus around which our lives are oriented. So what Foster is recommending, what, what he's suggesting is, that we have to reclaim this focus that we have on Christ as the center of all that we do. And he says, this is what happens. He says, experiencing the inward reality liberates us outwardly. Speech becomes truthful and honest. The lust for status and position is gone because we no longer need status and position. We cease from showy extravagance, not on the grounds of being unable to afford it, but on the grounds of principle. And our goods become available to others. It's interesting when we think about why we have the things that we have. Why we purchase the things that we purchase. And why we go the places that we go. Is it to show off uh, for people uh, that we want to impress? Or is it for some deep longing that we have or we think that some hole within us is going to be filled by things? Um, this week, Pastor John was laughing about a story that he heard on sports radio where Sean McVay, who is the coach of the Los Angeles Rams, 
he was flying to go to the Combine, which is where they invite all of the, pers the prospects for the NFL draft, and all of these great players come and show off their skills. And he was flying on Southwest Airlines. Now, all of the people were picking up on the story that he actually, on that flight from Los Angeles to Indianapolis, had um, summoned over Baker Mayfield, who was a Heisman Trophy winner and one of the top prospects um, that's coming out of the combine, and he had invited him to sit next to him. But then the real question people had was, McVeigh, why are you flying on Southwest? And this is a man that could have a first-class ticket on any airline. He could take the Rams private jet if he wanted to. But his answer was, he likes Southwest. <laughs> and you think about the practicality. He understands that it's more valuable for him to have a direct flight. And think about the, just the opportunity he had um, to not just sit next to one of the top players, but the funny thing about that is his team isn't even looking for a quarterback like Mayfield. But he took that opportunity to sit next to this college guy and speak some wisdom to him, give him some words of encouragement, and tell him what, how, how to just go about this process. And that's about, you know, one of the things that he has made his whole coaching career about is accountability and relationships and what we expect from one another. And it speaks so much to that kind of simplicity that, that Richard Foster is talking about in this book. Because he, being this great coach that everyone's heralding, this coach who's the youngest in the history of the modern NFL, you know, he's humble enough to be able to sit on a Southwest flight and invite a college student to sit beside him. It's very much against what we expect. Foster says, our problem in this world is that we focus so much on our things and what we recognize, too, is that we live in this society that gets so much wrong. He said, it's a time, it's, it is time that we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Covetousness we call ambition, hoarding we call prudence, and greed we call industry. What happens is when we have lots of things, we begin to worry about them more than we worry about, the, about our relationship with God and with others. But yet we find here in Matthew 6 this mandate that we don't need to worry about the things that we have in life, even our necessities. That Jesus is telling the people to look around and see. Look at all of the animals, the birds of creation. Look at the grass in the field and the flowers and how graciously God provides for their needs. How God clothes them in such beauty and such splendor. It says, who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? Notice the lilies and how they grow in the field. They don't wear themselves out with work. And they don't spin cloth, but I see even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. 
And if God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? So he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. He says, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, Foster is saying, it doesn't mean you can't take necessary precautions. He says it's only common sense to take normal precautions, but if we believe that precaution itself protects us and all of our goods, we will be riddled with anxiety. And so he gives a list of hints for how we can begin to live in simplicity. And I want to say that what Foster is saying is not that we live the life of an ascetic. We're not supposed to give up everything. He says when we do that, what we, we begin to do is um, we find that the asceticism makes this unbiblical division between what is good in the spiritual world and an evil material world. And in that, we find our salvation in paying little attention to the existence that we have in the physical world. And so in a lot of ways, to give up everything and to live like a hermit, like how many of us want to go live in the desert with nothing, just live in a cave? That doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> and Foster's saying, that's not what God's calling us to do. But God is calling us to live simple lives that make it possible for us to share what we do have with the community and to live generously toward others and to not let the care and concern of all of our things keep us from a relationship with Christ. And so these are some of the things that he suggests for how we can get beyond, the, beyond our lives of worry and anxiety over our possessions and live lives of simplicity. And I want to... If we're honest with ourselves, we probably all fall prey to some of these. <laughs> he says, number one, buy things for usefulness rather than status. Number two is reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. And he talks about all kinds of things, coffee, tea, um, even, even soda. And I know somebody in here gave up soda for Lent and has given up soda for good as an addiction, um, and it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's interesting to think about the things that have a hold over you. Foster, in, in the book, actually uses the example of a guy who gave, had to give up the newspaper. He realized he was addicted to the newspaper because one morning, when he went out onto his porch to pick up the daily paper, his wasn't there. And so he realized that his other neighbors had their newspapers, but his was gone. So he started plotting how he was going to steal the paper from one of them. And at that moment, he realized he had a problem. And he said, this isn't good. Sure, it's good to be informed about the world, but to be so concerned about having the physical paper in my hand that I have to go and steal it from my neighbor, that's a problem. So he immediately went inside, called the newspaper, and canceled his subscription. And they said, well, would you like to still get the Sunday paper? 
He said, no, I'm quitting cold turkey. So we think about, you know, there are little things like that that have a hold on us that we wouldn't necessarily consider an addiction. But sometimes we have to pay attention to what kind of grip those items have on our lives. Uh, the next thing that Foster recommends is developing a habit of giving things away. Then he says, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgets. We don't have to have the newest. Yeah, John's like shaking his hand. We don't have to have the newest and greatest thing just because they made one little adjustment to it. Now it's it's even better than the one before. Um, we, we shouldn't fall prey to that. Number five is learn to enjoy things without owning them. Instead, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Foster also says we have to look with skepticism at all these buy now, pay later schemes because they keep us in bondage. But then another part of simplicity isn't just about the things that we buy, um, but it's also how do we use plain and honest speech? This goes back to part of being people of simplicity is let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to come up with grand explanations when someone asks you a question or to do something for them. He also says to be mindful about not using things that exploit others. Just because we can get it the cheapest by buying it from a certain source, there might have been a tremendous human cost in the production of an item, and we need to take care of that. And finally, he says, shun whatever distracts from seeking God's kingdom first. So that can be any host of things that get in the way of us seeking God's kingdom. But he says, just turn away from all of those things. Um, he lifts up another verse from the Gospel of Luke about selling all your possessions and giving alms. Not selling all your possessions, but sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. This is a reminder that, you know, a lot of times what happens is people will give. They'll give in order to make room to buy more things. So how is it that we give in such a way that others can enjoy without feeling like we have to go out and replace what we just got rid of with something newer and shinier? So all of that will help us to cultivate this inner attitude of simplicity. And it will remove some of the distractions of our lives. Because it will help us recognize everything we have is a gift from God. That it's God's business, not ours, to take care of what we have. And all of the things that we have should be made available to others. So when we loosen the power that these things have over us, we're more capable of spending time in solitude and cultivating a heart toward God. We want to be able to spend quiet time and reflective time. And that's why simplicity and solitude go hand in hand. Just think about just how distracted we can be by cleaning around all the things that we have or caring for our objects instead of turning our heart in quietness toward the Lord. As we think about spending time in solitude, again, it doesn't mean we have to go off to the mountains 
but it does mean that we need to have times of quiet in our lives where our hearts are directed toward listening to God. And it's an important part of how we live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So we have to have both. We have to have not only that quiet time alone with God, but time in community, gathered to worship together. Both of those are essential to the Christian life. But what gets us most prepared to be in community like we are tonight is to have spent that time in solitude with our Lord, to listen to Christ's voice. So all of these are some ways that we can begin to cultivate these outward disciplines. And this week has some great reflection questions. The first one is, you know, what's one thing that you could do this week to simplify your life? Just one thing. And then do it. What's John's got Send our kids to the lanes. So that's an important thing to consider. I would say, you know, maybe go to just wearing a standard uniform, the same outfit every day. <laughs> then there won't be so much laundry to do. <laughs> but for each of us, it's something different. What one thing will simplify your life? And then how can you use that extra time that you've gained to spend a few moments in quiet? Foster talks about solitude, again, not as having to necessarily go on a silent retreat to the mountains, but how can you use the time in your car when you're driving from one place to another to turn off some of the noise and just listen? Or how can you take advantage of stolen moments here and there, even standing in line or waiting in a waiting room, um, to just quiet your mind and reflect on the love of God around you? So we can find solitude, even when we're with other people. It's about the attitude of our heart in the midst of all that. So I pray as we reflect on these um, outward disciplines, that in, in community and as people we know um, are in, in relationship with us, that they will see us growing more and more like Christ as we cultivate these disciplines. Thanks be to God. Amen.